Good morning, she welcome in to today's programme. We're looking at vandalism on today's programme. What took part, uh, took place over the weekend. I would take them apart if I found them myself, but anyway, more about that in a moment. The Martin Roundabout will also have some serious concerns when it comes to dogs and the way farmers are treating them. We're looking at esophageal cancer on today's programme. And again, Ballyban and that general news expressing further concern about a major building in the neighbourhood there. We've got Goldberg Greats on today's program. Gary Hines of Drew Theatre Company joins us. We sport and much more between now and then. Plus your comments to 086 38 33 55 3. It's an absolutely beautiful Monday morning. We hope that you're in good form and that you'll stay with us until midday. Now, if you do want to get in contact with us, you can do so quite simply to those numbers, or you can also uh, contact Siobhan at the desk here on 0917700077. That's 0917700077. So if you do want to get in contact with us, we'd like to hear from you on any of those numbers and do so, uh, please, straight away. Now, uh, locals and councillors are outraged uh, following vandalism spree in the west of the city. I'm joined by the Mayor of Galway City, Eddie Hoare, and by Councillor John Connolly as well. And I'm flabbergasted because it's such a wonderful facility uh, in the Nocticara area, as to the mindset of the people that could do the damage that they did over the weekend on Saturday, that is, uh, in uh, Miller's Lane, that general area there. And But the Mayor joins you first off uh, today. Mayor, morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us uh, today. This is such a beautiful facility. A massive amount of uh, money has gone into it. And I just saw the video of all the damage that's been done. And it's absolutely shocking. Yeah, it's 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 shocking, really disappointing to, I suppose, wake up to phone calls on on Sunday morning, and to see such a lovely facility that's the council have invested hundreds of thousands into. It's um it's really really disappointing to see the damage to, just blatant antisocial behaviour and, um for no reason whatsoever we see trees broken, um the bollard lights which are quite expensive to to install, yeah. um a number of those broken. And then further out in the more public area, the bus stop at the Gateway Shopping Centre, again, just shattered. And the council, over the course of the last number of years, have invested through Maverick, have in, in installed a number of, of, of bus stops around the city. And we always get calls, we want bus stops, we need bus stops. And then to see a bus stop just destroyed for needless vandalism is, is really, really disappointing. And as mayor of the city, just to to strongly condemn the actions of those involved and um, hopefully it can be addressed by the Gardaí locally and I know they are dealing with it and investigating it and hopefully it'll be, it'll just simply stop. Is there CCTV in the area, do you know, Mayor? I'm unsure. I don't think there's CCTV in Miller's Lane. I know there is CCTV um, quite close to the Gateway Shopping Centre at the Bottle banks. I know there are there is CCTV operated by Galway City Council. There, I'm unsure if there's CCTV in Millers Lane. I don't think there is. Mm. I know new legislation has been passing on through the Oireachtas to allow CCTV to be used. So it will be. I I'd expect there will be an investment in CCTV by local authorities right across the country, and hopefully it will assist in in curtailing this types of this types of vandalism. Um, I know from speaking. At the neighbourhood watch um, meeting recently, which was really well supported, it was enthusing to see the support not just from the general public and councillors, but um, indeed the Gardaí and Sergeant Mick Walsh. I know was on your show recently as well, and the great work that's been done yeah. in terms of crime prevention 
lighting up areas and things like this. But unfortunately, um, instance like this is just very, very difficult to to comprehend and, and, and it's a challenge for everyone. And again, it'll waste the great resource that the Gardaí have in tackling other areas. It's going to be wasted here, unfortunately. Okay, but I mean, putting it just when you saw, I saw what they did to the trees, which is just, and they're young sapling trees and they're beautiful and they're staked and they're, they're done to the highest degree. And the lighting that you refer to, I'd be concerned about the lighting because I don't know how they kicked the living daylights out of them or unless they brought some kind of tools with them. But I mean, they're damn lucky that they didn't get electrocuted because the lights are there for a purpose. And if the power was coming to them, uh, it could have been quite serious for these uh, young people. And I take it it's young people. Yes, I'd expect from the reports there was there was gangs of young people gathering around the area. Now, as I said, the Gardaí are investigating it. But it's just disappointing. In terms of active travel, the Cork City Council have been very progressive and very active in terms of investment. Only today, uh, Minister Jack Chambers is in Galway to, to open another active travel scheme in Duchishka and the Martin Junction. And again, we should be celebrating our active travel schemes, but instead this leaves a bad taste. Mm. Um, and the millions, like I said, that's been invested to make these thoroughfares safer for not just for the general public, but more so for young people who are who are, who are travelling to school. It's an off-street um it's a facility. Space. It's a facility it's in the middle of a very yeah. busy area, not Nakara, so it is. And it straddles Rahun and Nakara, and uh, part of Rahun as well there. And it's stra- and it's a lovely area. It's a lovely place to go for a walk. It's a bit like uh, Capper Park. It's just a lovely area to go for a walk. And it's beautifully done to the highest degree. And now, lo and behold, now, this isn't the first time there's been a problem there. I mean, there was a problem there with some of the football clubs where they set it on fire and damaged stuff as well a few years ago. I remember that. But I mean, this has got to stop. And these young people and their parents need to know where are they on a Saturday night to do something like this. Mayor, I know you have another meeting to go to, but thank you for joining us. Let me go to Councillor John Connolly, who joins me on the line. John, good morning to you. Um, again, have you further details on this uh, to what the mayor has given us, John? Well, I suppose I suppose um, the first thing, Keith, I'd say is actually the incident in the lane happened quite early on Saturday evening because uh, I got a phone call from a neighbour of mine at about half eight, I'd say, advising that he had just returned from a walk and had witnessed, well, not, sorry, not witnessed, but had seen the damage. Uh, and at that time, he felt that the damage had only been done to the trees. I visited the lane shortly after that, I suppose, around quarter to nine, and I, I saw the damage that had been done to the lights as well. Um, and which is, as you said, there is quite extensive. Um, and it was actually it was the, the following morning that the damage to the bus shelter. I became aware of that, uh, and I expect that that occurred. Well, you know, possibly in the time between the closure of the retail park at around ten o'clock, maybe on Saturday night and, and early Sunday morning. Yeah. And I did keep in you know the damage to the bus shelter. I, I would estimate that's possibly in the region of ten thousand euro. Uh, there's every pane of glass that was in it was smashed. When the council staff were there yesterday morning, they found a wheel wrench. Uh, one with one of the plastic, uh, solid plastic handle and a, a metal fixing. Um, and we, I suppose we, we estimated that was the, what caused the damage. Um, but somebody had and, to bring that you know, with them, John. They, they didn't leave the house with that in their back pocket because it's a fairly heavy piece of machinery to be bringing with you. So they went out to do damage, be it to a car or to a bus shelter or to a person. Yeah, yeah I suppose you could you, you, know, you could deduct that. Definitely, Keith. Um, I suppose I met Gareth the um, Brian Ryan yesterday morning after the, the full scale of what happened I became aware of it I met him um, you know he I suppose he, he 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 said to me that it's not safe to assume that it's the same people that are responsible for both um, you know and, and, and maybe I suppose we have to wait until the full investigation finds out um, if they can find out 
who is actually responsible. But it is very disappointing, Keith. I will say a couple of things, Keith, if, if you'll allow me. Um, the first thing is the, the, the road leading into the retail park where that bus shelter is located. Unfortunately, there's been a consistent problem there with public lighting. Uh, and that now needs to be addressed. And one of the difficulties that arises is, despite it being such a busy road that serves the Regent Park, despite it being the point for the terminus of the 405 bus service, the road is not yet taken in charge. It remains under the management of a private management company um, who, who manage the retail park. And the, it, it seems to be struggling with the provision of public lighting. Um, a number of people had mentioned it to me recently, uh, and coincidentally, that I, I, I'm not sure if there, I mean, there may be, it's about a space about... I suppose 80 metres, and I think there might be two of the lights along that currently working. So that has to be addressed. And I contacted the council as well to see, is there any way we can compel the management company there to install a higher standard of public lighting? Mm. I don't know what the issue is, but it's an ongoing one. Um, the second thing I would say about the lane, you might recall, Keith, when you and I discussed the lane previously, and we discussed it before it became operational, and we said that the one thing we'd really like to see here is, is some really proactive management on the lane. And look, last November... Chief Executive said to me that they were setting up an interdepartmental team to oversee the management of the lane. Um, and I think we're complicating it too much. The lane in its entirety is about a kilometre long. There's, a, I think, a portion of it, about 200 metres, that requires ongoing, regular uh, management, particularly litter management. The biggest problem with the lane up to this point has been litter. Uh, and I think if we resolve that, if we resolve that, and people could see, look, we, we, this is a facility the community want to enjoy, because we do have to remember that those responsible for what happened on Saturday night are in the vast, vast minority of those who see this as being a good public facility, one that people want to enjoy, one that makes active travel possible. Uh, and we have to show that you know the city is not going to be uh, beset by these type of problems, no. which will inhibit future active travel schemes. Um, but, but I mean, the situation quite simply is, I mean, the, the lights in question, I said that to the mayor as well, the lights in question... Um, the, the head had to be bet off them, pardon my French now here. It had to be bet off them. So, I mean, it makes more sense that the implements that you found, or the, the city council workers found yesterday, that could have been used. The, the, the heads of those lights doesn't come off handy. And then yeah, no, when, you, like, when you take the head off them and there's, there's live power going into them, that's flipping dangerous. Oh, there was definitely intent. I mean, there there's was no intent. doubt about it. And like, I mean, Keith, even the trees, you know, they are young. Uh, but at the same time, you don't hack them down with the scissors. Uh, there was some device to use, some tool, some something that has, you know, is, 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 is designed to do that. Yeah. You know, uh, and unfortunately, the impact of it is that you know there's a really valuable aspect of the local environmental community there that has been lost. Uh, but we must, we, we we can't allow this to stop us from doing these projects. No, no. no. Uh, so we must look now and see can we, you know, how we replace this and how we put about the the measures to make sure that these things don't reoccur again. I must say, I, I have to say. Uh, as I said, I met uh, Sergeant Ryan yesterday, and look, at, I, I felt he, 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 he's quite determined to make sure there's a full investigation that they will uh, make a call for public help to see, is there anybody who has any information? Uh, you mentioned yeah. CCTV camera there, there's none in the lane, there's no public CCTV around there, there may be some private CCTV around the retail park, uh, and he did vow that he would try and go and see, could he access that? Uh, and try and see will it lead or give them any assistance in trying to resolve there or find out what happened here. Okay. Uh, just on the lane, Keith, the, the NTA again recently, they granted another 100,000 euro for the lane uh, and I'm, I'm trying to find out what exactly that's specifically for because the finish of it is good but I, I hope it is for, um, you know, maybe enhanced management um, and 
again, the, the, the price of these bus shelters are expensive. A uh, recent NTA allocation of half a million to the city council uh, to install bus shelters and yeah. better bus stops. Um, and it's, you know, that's valuable taxpayers' money that we shouldn't allow to be wasted like this. No. No, there's a job of work to be done and maybe a neighbourhood watch scheme of some sort indeed in the area that it's, it's checked every couple of hours. Not that they would engage with those that would be um, involved in antisocial behaviour and or otherwise, but at least the Gardaí could be called and the Gardaí could uh, stop another um, incident like this. But somebody knows something. Somebody, Some house is missing this wrench and if we could get a photograph of it, we could put it up online and just see from there. But somebody somewhere is missing a wrench and somebody somewhere knows um, what went on and I think it's time now to come clean. Um, Councillor Connolly, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. That's uh, Councillor John Connolly and I was at Mass on Saturday night and he was there with his family as well. I imagine going home then and getting that kind of a call. Not nice to get on a Saturday night. Thank you indeed to Mayor Eddie Hoare and Councillor John Connolly for that as well. Quick commercial break. We're back just after these and uh, we're looking at the Martin Roundabout and also we have a message for farmers out there when it comes to dogs next. Stay tuned. Now, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's uh, programme. If you know anything about the damage that was done at Miller's Lane, uh, would you be good enough, please, to ring Salt Hill Guard Station on 0915147200. Did you see any shenanigans going on Saturday afternoon in and around that general area? Now, a councillor has called for clarity on the amount of overspend on the March Junction, and the official opening is taking place, as you know, by Jack Chambers later on today. Uh, but I'm joined on the line by Councillor Alan Cheevers, who joins me on the line today. Councillor Cheevers, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Um, uh, excuse me. Are you sure there was an overspend on the Martin Junction? Do you know? Or have you figures for me this morning? No figures. I am, I've requested the figures not only last year. In the, I'm a member of the Transport SBC. I was told that it would have some kind of figures by the end of the year. They still haven't arrived. And also in the last week, I've sent in um, an email request to the senior engineer of transport in Galway City Council requesting an update on where are the figures for the uh, the final figure for the spend at the Martin Junction. And I got no correspondence, which I believe very unprofessional. I wasn't happy about that, but at the end of the day, the taxpayer and the general public need to know uh, exactly how much this project cost. And if we go back, Keith, I suppose, to the project, um, it was supposed to be finished in the summer of 2022. Um, it eventually opened in August of 23. Um, and so, so basically there was about a 10 month of an overrun. Mm-hmm. Now we did get, we, we did get figures um, well, well before the project was completed that it was under budget around 3 million of the 5 million that was allocated for the project but my own interpretation is is that the there had to be a, an account reconciliation with the contractor and the local authority and I believe that when that comes to pass that we will see that there will be um, a it would go over the five million. So I, I can't give you clarity in that, Keith, because I'm not getting the correspondence back from Galway City Council but, on this. But so I, that's I, where I have the issue. Again, though, I mean, if there's a contract signed between a contractor and indeed the local authority, which is Galway City Council, that's the figure. We, we, that that's the figure that can only be spent. And from recollection, oh, and again, I'm, I'm going from recollection, by the way, I don't have it in front of me. Um, I, I remember somebody making a comment on air at the time. Uh, saying if it does run over, that's the, that's the issue for the contractor, and maybe they took on a bigger project, and um, then they knew it was going to be, but it was they were to take the hit on it. 
Well, Keith, here the problem is, and I don't agree with you there. The problem is you don't have to in this in in this contract. Galway City Council did not put a penalty clause on the contract. So therefore, what they were doing was they were giving the contractor an open checkbook. So therefore, you're, you're saying sorry, hang on. You're saying the penalty clause being that it was ten months uh, late opening, but that doesn't mean that they had to give them any extra money. Absolutely, but but Keith, the reality is they would have to give them extra money because when the council came back to us, they they said, oh, due to the Ukraine war and due to material. Um, getting materials to the project. All genuine the situations, one, yeah? Yeah, there, yeah. There, there was an issue. But, but, but I firmly believe that when it comes to pass, that when this contract is finally reconciled, that it will definitely go over the budget. I would be confident of that. Uh, as I say, we're still waiting. On, we're still waiting on the final figure. We haven't received any final figure. And now the, the, the junction is open, uh, I suppose, over 10 months now at this stage. It's, it's open and we still, we still haven't received any um, final reconciliation on the overall price. Again, I'm, I, I have absolutely no engineering experience in my lifetime. Uh, but, I mean, obviously you want to see what the final cost of this is. Um, but what happens if it, if it comes in, in and around the 5 million as being the max and the contractor in question takes the hit on the, the balance? There's no penalty in it in relation to... Uh, you, you're saying there's no... Um, part of the contract where there's a penalty for not opening it on time. No, there wasn't. And, uh, what, and that's why during this project with the overrun, one thing that I did call for, and many councillors... Overrun on time now rather than budget now we're talking uh, about. Well, well, we insisted that there would be a penalty clause on further contracts given out by Gova City Council to contractors for projects like this because there is no question that, that there will be an overrun on spending. There's no question. And I, I, I fairly believe that, um, that there will be an overrun and that, as I say, we haven't got the final reconciliation of the, of the, of the actual uh, project. But I think that when it comes to pass, I think that's really what we're going to see. Now, I think is why, number one, why is it so slow coming to the, uh, bringing, back, sorry, bringing back the final figure? Why is it taking so long? If it was, if, if it was just the five million that was allocated, and that was the, the that was the final contract price, and that's what they paid the contractor. Why didn't they just deliver that within a couple of months of actually uh, finishing the project? Now we're going out. The project opened in August. Uh, we're now into uh, going into March, nearly into this month, and we still haven't received a final figure. If it was if it was so straightforward, and it was a five million project like it was allocated from the start, why didn't they just uh, round it off at the five million like the, it was supposed to be and tell us that? But now we're into, as say, into, let's say, um, February, late February, going into March, project opened last year, and we still haven't had any figure uh, in okay. relation to the final will, cost. Will you come back to me before the 12th of April when I finish? Um, please, and can we have clarity on that um, before I finish, if you don't mind? Because I, I, I firmly believe from conversation I had that it, it had to come in on budget. But if you have other information on this one, and it does go over budget, and we saw what happened with the Children's Hospital in Dublin, uh, and it can't be the same here. But uh, will you come back and let us know from there if you don't mind, Constituents? Are you going to the opening yep. today, by the way, of the Martin Roundabout? 
Uh, I hope to. I have other prior appointments, but I hope to be there. Um, I think it's, you know, I have to say, I think the point, point is out. We, we talk about budgets and we talk about uh, timelines, but I have to say that there was a lot of apprehension in the general public about the junction and how it's going to work when it opened. And I do believe that it's actually worked quite well. Working it's extremely working, well, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's working quite well. Yeah. Um, I've had very little re- representation from the general public on the negative side. There has been some, but very, very little. So I think actually it's 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 working quite well. So I think it's important to point that out too, to look at the positive sides of the project as well. It's finished to a very high standard, so it is with the fencing and otherwise it's finished to an extremely high standard. Uh, but thank you for joining us and enjoyed the time with Jack Chambers uh, today. That's uh, Councillor uh, Alan Cheevers joining us there. Keith, I just want to highlight an issue about parking near Pierce Stadium um, yesterday indeed for the Galway Derry match. Uh, my father parked near the stadium pretty early and he heeded the uh, yellow cones about not parking on a particular side of the road. His tyres were up on the footpath by a few inches, and he had a parking fine of €80 euro on the windscreen when he came back for parking partially or fully on a footpath. All the other cars along that side um, um, got the fine too. Some did block uh, Some did block maybe half the footpath, but my father was up by just one tyre wi- t- width on the path, and he left a bit more space than the width of a wheelchair and uh, was conscious of not being too far out on the road uh, to if a fire brigade or an ambulance needed to get by while he was at the match. Uh, this was a cul-de-sac with no pedestrians walking to uh, get to Pierce Stadium. Uh, the footpath was empty. I attached a photograph showing uh, cars, including his black uh, one, didn't park uh, where the yellow cones were. So it's safe to assume that the other side is um, fine to park on. Age shouldn't come into it, but as he's an elderly man, I would have thought that it would be a reasonable parking job uh, would be punished by the council on a match day when it was obvious that he wasn't in any way blocking or impeding the footpath. I feel on match days in Salt Hill there's more yellow, no parking cones than any other county ground I've been to. Parking is so limited in Salt Hill, especially uh, with the prom um, there as an attraction that people drive into Salt Hill for, and as a result, of competing for parking spaces. Can traffic wardens please not use a bit of common sense instead of papering every car on the road with fines uh, if only one or two deserve it? It's just another reason why Pierce Stadium being in Salt Hill is a disaster. The only option for parking is on the street, but the level of hostility to it is ridiculous. Also, no working light in some toilet cubicles yet again in Pierce Stadium. Not the first time and not the most enticing thing for a four-year-old at a match uh, to be in complete darkness and having to use my phone to light it up from there. I don't know if I'll be as willing to head over again this spring to Pierce Stadium. I'd love if you could read this out on Monday uh, morning, please, so someone in the council in Pierce Stadium could hear it. Thank you very much. And that comes from Adrian Joyce. Uh, was it the Gardaí they gave out the tickets at the traffic wardens? I don't know from there. Anyway, let's move on today because we have a warning coming the way. So we have this morning when it comes to um, when it comes to indeed um, dogs uh, today, and I do want to go to Madra because they've issued a very strong statement that they have in the last uh, couple of uh, hours to us in relation to farmers and dogs and looking after them. Marina Fiddler, who's the founder of Madra, joins me on the line today. Marina, the statement is extremely strong, which was sent out by your colleague Dawn. Uh, over the weekend, and what are your concerns? Uh, well, if you think that's strong, if you think that's strong, you should have seen the original. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had to, we had to water, we had to make it a bit more polite. There's obviously um, a lot of passion involved in this, and 
You have a lovely photograph that you sent me as well of a dog and the puppies and all that goes with it. Do you think that some farmers, some farmers are just not looking after their pets? Uh, rural dwellers, farmers, um, the, the, the word farmer covers a broad spectrum. I mean, in, in, in Connemara, there's it's a lot of subsistence farmers. So it is just the few cattle or the few sheep and they move them from field to field. That doesn't require an awful lot of working from a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, in East Galway, they might be slightly larger. But I mean, nowadays, a lot of animal stock are in over the winter. There's electronic gates. There's God, there's even drones that move the animals sometimes. So in terms of what work they want for a dog to do, uh, one dog should be satisfactory for everybody. Yeah. But what is the case? Um, not everybody, but you know what I mean? No, we're, talking yeah. about, we're talking generalizing here, obviously. But um, so, so what we're seeing, what we're seeing is, Working dogs, farm dogs, collies uh, coming into rescue, and they're coming into pounds. They're coming into rescues. So last the last two years, Galway County Pound has been up on the uh, of all their total intake, just up on fifty percent were farm dogs and collies. Madra, over the last two years, has been up on sixty and seventy percent that were coming into us that were farm dogs and collies. And a lot of them are coming in, apart from the clutches of puppies that we get, obviously, where, you know, we took in over 200 farm puppies last week, last year. This is why we started Millie's Fund. But a lot of them are coming in at, at a year old when they were fine trotting around the, around the yard when they were young. And then as they get older, they start to be bold and they start to be off wandering and they just let them go. There's no microchipping. There's no way of tracking these dogs or finding out who had them. And it's just a disaster. And if if the strong statement that I got at the weekend from your colleague Dawn and yourself has been watered down, let it let it rip this morning. Dawn can't give out to you, and I won't give out to you. <laughs> what, what, what's, no, my what's language, your... my language is bad enough, I, and I actually genuinely get upset. And, and no, you do because I, I, do, I just. Yeah. If you saw the dogs coming into us, they are traumatized. They have been wandering. Their feet are sore. They are full of worms. They are traumatized. They're lonely. They're lost. They're undernourished, and that's the adults. And then the, the puppies that come in, as you know, we've done, we've discussed all this before. We find them in boxes, we find them in hedges, we find them dumped, full of ringworm. So, so, and I've been out to a lot of farms. In fact, I used to be a sheep dripping inspector, and I also used to be a shepherd. I worked as a shepherd during lambing time. So, I mean, I, I understand. We understand that you do like you, your your whole life livelihood is about breeding animals and selling them. Uh, and a lot of people have huge respect for their animals. Working with 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 farmers that are absolutely love their animals, but they just seem to be having this blind spot in terms of their working dogs and their dogs around the farm. They, there, there is an old wives' tale that if you if you if you neuter females, she won't work. And and they need to start getting getting up to date with with the science, and that is just not true. And. Um, and I have seen females, uh, you know, some farmers will tie their dogs when because they don't have fencing, you know, and they tie their dogs so they won't be out worrying stock or anything. But you, I've seen a female dog tied up in heat. So she has nowhere to go. And all other dogs would come in, do what needs to be done. And, and she's chained up. So she and then the next thing, books are bored. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's just so, they're just not seeing what we're seeing. And, and, that we're just trying to let them see what's happening in our world. So a lot of people 
who have a farm dog, they, 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 and there's pups unexpected. And, and I'm sick of hearing them saying, I don't know how it happened. Of course they know how it happened. But, and so then the neighbors and there's friends and cousins and everything. So oh, I'll take one, I'll take one. And of course they think, oh, that's grand. I got rid of all the pups. Should these, they've gone to lovely homes. A year later, those dogs are in pounds because not yeah. every collie is suitable as a pet. And that's what they need to see. When they bring those, those dogs to the mart, and, and give them away or sell them for a five or 20 quid or whatever. There's Those dogs don't necessarily have a happy life. They go off happy. The farmer thinking, that's grand, I got them sorted. No, no, because those dogs are coming in to rescue. And, and it, it, I just wish they could see a bit of our world. It's very sad. I mean, it's no secret. I don't want it to happen again, but an absolute, total and utter coward who obviously lives very close to me. Um, must be a year and a half, two years ago at this stage. Uh, on a Friday evening, arrived home and had left a box over the wall, and there was mm. wasn't there ten puppies in it, um, Marina? I remember they were they weren't even weaned. Like they, weaned, and that's, so. th- they were like only six weeks old. I remember them well, and that's one of the awful things that breaks our heart is when we see these puppies being dumped. What about the mother? Like mm. uh, these animals are emotional beings. If you take you, you, she's there nursing her pups, and you take all of them away and leave her there with a big bag of milk and mastitis and whatever else. I mean, they, 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 it's just, it's just unbearable. It really is. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm like, how many times have you been on this bloody radio show telling people this? I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm 20 years doing this now, 20 years telling people, spay your females, spay your females. Yeah. And it just feels like nobody's listening. I'm listening. I know you are. And you're, and I know we get a lot of support locally and, and we, we've always tried to not be Mr. and Mrs. Shouty and pointing fingers and giving out, but it's getting beyond a joke now. I mean, Millie's Fund now um, was a huge positive thing. We, we, we made it as barrier free as possible. You do have to have a license because that's a legal obligation and you do have to have the dog microchip, but we can sponsor the microchipping for you. The actual spay is completely free and you can pick your own vet. In all of County Galway, every, almost every single, there's one veterinary clinic that is not involved. Every other veterinary clinic. We've done so much work on this with the County Council, contacting these vets, working out prices. It's barrier free. All you have to do is ring up, uh, fill in the form online. So we've, we're nearly a year into Millie's Fund now and we have um, about 154 applications, which is great. Um, there's 110 of them already spayed. The others are waiting to be done because, you know, she may have come in heat or there's different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so we, we we're trying to promote that again. Now we've spent nearly best part of seventeen, eighteen thousand euro on this. Like we're paying for it. Yeah. This is money. But we feel it's 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 a value. Well, the council are working um, with you on this one. Yeah, the council are doing a lot of the administration because, you know, we just don't have the staff to deal with all the huge paperwork. But, um, yeah, and in fairness, um, there has been a a take-up. Now, we have to do a bit of hand-holding with some people and obviously there's there's, there's people out there who are maybe not listening to the radio or they they think they would have mental health issues. um, And so we're happy to, you know, help them out in any way possible to get this done. We've had neighbours bringing in their dogs from the farmer up the road because he's not on, he can't fill in the form online or whatever. We've got uh, people on the phone who will help you fill in the form. The council will help you fill in the form. So we're really, really trying hard. And I suppose this is, I suppose the letter is trying to reach younger people now who are taking over the farms, young people in in farming communities and in farming colleges and just, Just this is the reality that we're seeing and and they need to see a, a bit of it as well. 
a bit of cop on, a dose of cop on. Rian, thanks for joining us uh, today. And um, you can come on this bloody radio show anytime you want. <laughs> oh my God, I, you see, you got me so upset, I cursed. Oh my God. I'm fed up bye coming bye, on Keith, this bloody you. radio show. They're not listening. Oh I always God. listen to the wonderful Marina Fiddler. So I do. Marina, thanks for joining us. Please contact Madra. Please contact uh, Galway County Council. But Madra, they're, they're there to help. There's a wonderful bunch of people there. And um, again, don't overload them. But farmers, please, if we find out you're up to something, we'll send Marina out to you. I'll tell you one thing, you won't do it again. Morning to you now. Don't forget the comment lines. And there's a lot coming in, by the way, on WhatsApp. I'll give them to you before the 10 o'clock news. But I want to go now to Carmel Doyle, who's CEO of Esophageal Cancer Fund. And again, it's a very serious situation when somebody finds themselves in uh, on this journey. Uh, but Carmel joins me on the line today. Carmel, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. I raise a lolly to lick, uh, to, just to try and lift the people indeed uh, that are suffering with esophageal cancer. Again, it's a tough time for them when they're going through it. Absolutely. 500 people every year in Ireland are diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And the esophagus, Keith, is that food pipe between your um, mouth and your stomach. And um, that can get damaged. And it's it's one of those ones that is a very difficult cancer to get. Um, the signs that we want people to look out for is uh, difficulty swallowing if food is coming back up, uh, persistent acid indigestion, heartburn, uh, persistent coughing, frequent hiccups and unexplained weight loss. Now, a lot of us throughout our life will have indigestion, but I'm talking about indigestion and reflux that doesn't go away with your antacids. It's time to go to the doctor and just yeah. get checked out because the good news on this one, Keith, is that early detection makes a huge difference if we can catch it early. And is it an endoscopy or colon, sorry, an endoscopy that would identify yes. it? Is it? Yes, exactly. So you go to the doctor and you, um, you know, chances are the doctor will monitor and will send you for a scope. And in that scope, then you'll either get the all clear or they may decide and say that it's, you've got something like Barrett's esophagus, which can be a precursor to this, which means the esophagus is slightly damaged, but nothing to worry about just keep monitoring and it was through one of those situations my own husband in 2011 uh they found a polyp on his esophagus uh, and on the tip of that polyp was cancer um so it was because he was in the system being monitored that his cancer was found so early and that made all the difference to to us to our family so early He's detect- doing really well. thank god i was going to ask you how he was but early yeah. detection then is key carmel and this that's the key message on this that's, that's the key message. We've been around the country with Lollipop Day, uh, you know, and th- hats off to all the Galway volunteers who were in Galway City. They were in Balnaslow, Tume, uh, Knocknacara, collecting and raising awareness just to say to people, know the symptoms. Esophageal cancer, Ireland has one of the highest rates in Europe. It's one of those ones that... Um, if you get early detection, it means that you have the best chance uh, of um, a full recovery and they can ablate these damaged cells out, which means like with a laser, I mean, medication and the medical world has come on so much since my husband would have had his esophagectomy, which it's called his esophagus removed. They can now do it by keyhole um but I don't want to underestimate the seriousness of this one um, because there would be a lot of listeners who have been impacted on this. And unfortunately, um, you know, there is mm. a high death rate with it. 
sorry for being personal, but if it's removed, then do they replace it? No, what they do is, and it's a really good question, uh, Keith, and thank you. They pull, in Jerry's case, they pull the stomach up and they attach it back to um, the throat, which means basically you have a much smaller tummy. And with this cancer, then afterwards, it means you have to retrain yourself to eat very small amounts very frequently. Um, so the mechanics are all changed where they have to take the esophagus out. It's quite a big thing. The esophagus is about 12 inches long. It's a tube. It's called the food pipe. Our grannies would have called it the gullet. And uh, they pull up the stomach and uh, they reconnect the plumbing in there. And it just means that, you know, Jerry went, my husband went from a man who would have had the full buffet with all the extras to eating what I call now a more Mediterranean diet. But so what? If it, if it means that he can eat and eat well, he just eats much more frequently and um, training and exercise is really important as well. It's it's frightening really but I mean you're there to help people and you're there just to raise the, the awareness of a caramel. So I mean if somebody's listening to us this morning and um, they have any of those symptoms, give me those symptoms again Carmel. Uh, difficulty swallowing, so where your food is coming back up, that's one not to ignore, go to the doctor with that. Um, persistent acid indigestion. Now, one in five of us will have indigestion um, throughout pregnancy. I suffered for, from it, but I know that, you know, that was the, the sign I had with my husband. He was guzzling the Gaviscon more so than I was through pregnancy. I was saying, Jerry, you're just going to have to get checked out here. Mm-hmm. So persistent acid indigestion that doesn't go away. Um, uh, persistent coughing, frequent hiccups. Uh, I've heard people saying pain across the back or the chest bone, unexplained weight loss. The problem, as I'm saying these symptoms, is it can be a lot of other things as well. So we're just asking people to follow their gut instinct and not to just leave things unanswered to go and get checked out by the doctor so what if he says look you're grand no worries and um, maybe uh, they'll give you a scope in a couple of months time and just uh, get to this one early because early detection makes a big difference uh, we're all about early awareness but we'll be down in Galway come September October because we're also about community because this is like a bus running over your body when you are diagnosed or anybody in your family is diagnosed with it's big change it's a big deal it's not a nice story on the internet so we have a real sense of community amongst our esophageal cancer survivors we'd be down in Galway to meet some of them in September and I might give you a call then it's just to support people because there's nothing like patients who are ahead of you talking to you about what they went through and I know that was absolutely critical in our case we had looked at we'd, we'd heard what the medics have to say it's a very complicated one to get but there was nothing like talking to somebody who were who and was that, a couple of years down the line absolutely. that sense of community is important to us an advocate like that Carmel absolutely keep in contact uh, with uh, comments at goldbergverfm.ie but thank you so much for joining us uh, today Carmel Doyle CEO of Esophageal Cancer um, Fund there and our thanks to her for joining us uh, today so she has the lived experience Experience, so it's coming from the heart. Uh, Keith, this call is said last Thursday I went to the library to inspect the updated hard copy of the electoral register for a small area in the city. And there are three names of people who passed away on it. Two died well over a year ago and the other about nine months ago. Another has gone to a nursing home over a month ago. So the accuracy is 42% with three new tenants not on the register. This is a very small housing uh, area. So the dead, it seems, will be voting into the long distant future. And Keith, I'm listening to you about dogs. It's so sad. I live in an estate and it's so sad to hear the dogs barking all day while the owners are out and about. Uh, Keith, I'm listening to you. Not fair on the poor mammy dogs at all today. 
Keith boycott uh, Pierce Stadium uh, when there are matches and the GA will sit up and take notice as their pockets will be hit other grounds within the county well able to cater for parking uh, from there another caller said ah Keith come on you cannot break the law the parking laws no parking on footpaths that's the law how's a wheelchair person going to travel on that footpath and uh, Keith this is the second time that those lights were broken what's the answer to this it's just vandalism this caller said and why don't the clampers or the Gardaí come up to Walter Mackin Road uh, during Murphy's school hours and see the bad parking? A child will get hurt if nothing is done, Keith. And it's up to you to bring it to people's attention. I just read out the comment and that's all I can say from there. And if there's illegal parking going on in that general area at that time of day, let the local councillors deal with it and talk to the people in question and let the council as well. The council have so much. We can't blame the council on everything and get them to do everything. I think we as citizens have to do our own bit for society as well. So let's just do that. Now yet to come, Galway Greats, it is the wonderful Gary Hines. That's just after the 11 o'clock news. Stay tuned, but let's go to news now for 10 o'clock.